Money Show. Make Money Mondays. The new afternoon drive host on 702 is somebody who's been on your radio on and off for decades, John Perlman. I mean, when? Because you started off as a sports reporter in, in the newspapers. Remember newspapers? Those crinkly things that <laughs> we used to wake up with in the mornings. Yes. Um, when, when did you make your break into radio? So, hi, Bruce, and good evening, everyone else. Um, Probably in the late 1980s, um, covering football, South African football for 702 gave me my first break. And then I suppose the biggest thing I did in that particular frame was I went to Italy to cover the World Cup in 1990. And the reason that was a big thing was that was the first football World Cup ever televised in South Africa. So I had a really good audience for that. I was on Capital um, and I was on 702. So that's when I made my start, so about 30 years ago. 30 years of broadcasting. Um, and it's been a career which has seen you do the, the morning show with Sally Burdett for many years um, on, on SAFM. Nine. Um, uh, nine years. That's many yeah. years. Yeah. Um, and, and then you spent until fairly recently time on Kaya FM. And now you've come to us. It's almost like, what do you call it in your, in your statement when you joined us? You called it full circle, I think. Yeah, and, 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 you know, 702 gave me my first opportunity to be on radio. And when I went to SAFM, my demo tape was based on stand-in shows that I'd done on Talk at Nine. Um, so, yeah, I think you always recognize people who open doors. Sometimes you had to kick at them a little bit. Sometimes <laughs> open the door and there was someone with a big smile. But but that's business, you know. You, you're never as good as you think you are. Um, and then you've got to set about proving that you're perhaps better than other people feared you might be. And it's a fun job. I mean, let's let's be honest about it. It's 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 you know, but you're never going to earn as much as you are as an investment banker, as a corporate lawyer, or as a brain surgeon. But it's a fun job. It, it's an absolutely fabulous job, and I think talk radio in particular is really really special because you get an opportunity to interview lots of people, uh, all sorts of uh, walks of life and areas of excellence. But you've always got the callers keeping you. On your toes, giving you perspectives that you absolutely didn't have. And, and to an extent, I think keeping you honest, keeping you straight. They remind you that the world that they inhabit is possibly more the real world than the one you've just painted with an expert at the other end of the line. Tell me about growing up. Where did John Perlman grow up? Where were you born? So I was born in Johannesburg in 1959 um, and I grew up and spent my most of my, well, all my sort of childhood and teen life in Northcliffe, uh, which was in some ways like Northcliffe now. I think the big difference was for people who know the neighborhood, when you got sort of around the Cresta area, after that there were small holdings and farms and so on. <laughs> um, in those days, are there absolutely. Black, black and white pictures of the farms, are there? They're, well, they're, they're black and white pictures. My, my father was... Um, the general practitioner in the area, and he was uh, a doctor there for 50 years. And I, I think I might have mentioned to one of, one of our colleagues that he delivered the babies of the babies he delivered. But every once in a while, he'd say, you know, oh, I'm, I have to go on a call to Honeydew. And I'd sometimes go with him. And yeah, you'd go out to small holdings and farms. It was fascinating. And, and how that world has changed. And I mean, so dad was the, was the GP. Um, did mum work in those days? So my mom, 
My mom eventually worked, and Wendy worked. She she worked in grand fashion. She um, I was the youngest of four children, an eight year gap to my older sis, eldest sister. Um, so for a while, my mom, who who couldn't sit still, put all her energy into running the tuck shop and organizing the fish pond for the school fete. Not a, not alone, obviously, but working with other people. And then she started doing things like selling Tupperware, which was chaotic. Tupperware in those days was not the product it is now. But then she she was always a kind of a social justice somebody, and she began to work at the Institute for Race Relations. And then she created something um, alongside people like Mervyn King called Operation Hunger, which was a massive... Did she... she now that I connected the dot. Indeed, indeed. Right, got you. Yeah. Operation Hunger's your mum. Yep, ah. indeed. And, and her... Links to 702, there's a very strong one. They together staged something called the Concert in the Park in the late 80s, which was a massive concert and a massive fundraiser. Does your sense of social justice, because through the Dreamfields project, you've combined a a very strong sense, and I think you've got a very strong inbuilt sense of social justice with your love of football and your desire to not only improve the game, but to give kids a, a... Something to work towards, something to hope for, I think. Yeah, so so I think it's a football project, it's a sports project, but I think it's fundamentally an educational and social project. Um, I don't believe that school should just be about books, but I also think that, you know, we've created a model at Dreamfields which is extremely inclusive, so any kid who wants to play can play. And we play league football deliberately rather than knockout football. And for two reasons, I think if children, and I think it's crucial for our country, if children at a young age are told you're not good at that thing, I think you can start creating paths and patterns that we as a society will end up regretting, you know. And secondly, if you play knockout and, you know, by its very nature, someone gets knocked out, you start giving kids really short timelines and very narrow and, and low horizons. I'm not sure what the right word for that is. But but you're starting to say, oh, if you fail, it's over. And so, yeah, I think it's a, it's a, it's a football project, but it's fundamentally, I think it's a personal development, educational and social project. And above all, it's a gift to myself, if I was absolutely honest. Um, I started it with the World Cup approaching and I thought I can either spend five years being incredibly grumpy about the dodgy things that FIFA do and, and, and in, in a constantly bad mood, or I can say there's going to be a party in my house and I can be um, absolutely irritated with the K and furious with the DG, DJ, or I can decide I'm really going to enjoy it and, and, and contribute something. So a major beneficiary was me. No, and again, isn't that wonderful? Because your constant motivation then is to not only keep it going, but to continue to find ways to innovate and continue to find ways to to grow it. Yeah, absolutely. And and you know, like like the country, I suppose, uh, not 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 to be too uh, presumptuous about it. But you know, when the World Cup ended, we had to reinvent ourselves because there were people. Um, wanting to work with us, but in smaller numbers for very different reasons. And there was, you know, I just have to say it, there was probably less money around, but I think there were more partnerships available. Um, And one thing I've learned, because I'd never hired anyone, never run a business, never paid SARS anything apart from what I owed them. And yeah, I've had to learn some, some sharp business lessons 
I was very fortunate early on in the the Dreamfields journey, and 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 people will will know the product if not the name. I, I happened to be introduced to a fellow called Graham Bath, who created the My School card that Woolworths obviously yes. now does well, and. I, I was introduced to Graham through a, a, a fabulous woman called Linda Smith, who runs something connecting retired people with people who need some help, like I desperately did. And Graham was sent to me by w- whatever one's religious beliefs are, was sent to me by the good forces of the universe <laughs> to, to, to help me turn a great idea into into a business proposition. And we're still working together. And boy, did I get lucky meeting him. But it's so important, isn't it, to have those skills on board and to, one, acknowledge that you don't have them and to say, please help. I mean, I've got the idea, I've got the motivation, I've got the energy, I know what I want to achieve, but how do I make this thing sustainable? And that's what Graham has brought you, I guess, is that element of sustainability. Yeah, and, and, and also just, uh, you know, I think he's, he's, a, he's a man with a great heart um, and, and, and a, his own, um, his very own sense of, of, of doing the right thing in a, in a country that needs a lot of that. Um, yes, and, 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 and helping, but he's also been a great strategic thinker and sounding board. And, and we've added other people. I mean, we're a team of eight. The, the next crucial person was a young man, not so young anymore, because we've been going 13 years, called Silas Mashaba, who brought his own perspective from being a sports coach and being a young man for whom sport was a crucial part of his life. And yeah, we've, We've brought on some great people. We do need to talk about money. And yes. we need to talk about your perspectives on money and growing up in Northcliffe, dad being the GP, mum being starting Operation Hunger. Um, money would not have been a, a massive concern in the Pearlman House in those days. In the 1960s, growing up in Northcliffe in Johannesburg. More with John Pearlman on that. And then what he does with money, how he manages money and what terrible mistakes he's made, because that's always the most interesting bit. We'll have more with John Perlman in a moment. The Money Show. Make Money Mondays. John Perlman, our guest this evening, grew up almost in rural outskirts of Johannesburg <laughs> in Northcliffe as he accompanied his GP dad on trips into the outer regions of uh, what is now suburbia, suburban extended Johannesburg. But he would have had lots of life lessons from dad and lots from mum who started Operation Hunger. Money wouldn't have been in short supply. I mean, you might not have been rolling in it, but being the kid of a GP, there probably wasn't ever a time where you were desperately concerned as to where the next meal was coming from. Yeah, absolutely, Bruce. I mean, we, we you know, I, I grew up comfortably. We, we lived in a, a big house with a beautiful garden. We had a swimming pool. Strangely, though, my, my parents were anxious about money um, and, and it was manifest around me, particularly as a younger boy, in not talking about it and considering it, um, I, what's the word? I wouldn't say vulgar because that's, that's not right, but, but, but it was off limits. We didn't, we didn't chat about it and, and occasionally I'd be aware of them sort of chatting about something with, with, with a slightly worried expression. So, yes, at a very, very fundamental level, we had... Vehicles, we had holidays, we had bedrooms, we had linen. Um, but, but somehow I never learned anything about money from my parents. They didn't, uh, amongst their friends, if they had business people, friends or entrepreneurs, I don't recall being sort of included in conversations saying, oh, you, you'll, you'll never guess what Uncle George has done. Um, mm. the, 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 the one hilarious conversation I had with my mother about money was every Friday night we'd celebrate Shabbat. Um, and we always celebrated it with 
one roast chicken, a pot of roast potatoes and beans. And one day I remember coming to the table and there was an omelette uh, on the table. Uh, so the chicken was involved, but, but, but not committed in the way it was before. Um, and I, I just asked out of curiosity because I liked omelette. I said to my mom, why are we having omelette? And my mother said, because chicken is expensive and you can't expect to have it every Friday. And I thought, okay, well, I'm good with this. And then we proceeded to have chicken for the next 16 years or whatever it was, <laughs> uninterrupted. Uh, and and uh, again, you know, a comfortable, so a comfortable start. But when yes. did you sort of first become aware that the stuff was hard to earn, hard to keep, hard to manage? I mean, at what point did you have your sort of your your money epiphany? Have you had it yet? Yes, I think I have. I mean, I mean, look, you know, I suppose to put it down to, to draw an, a, a strong line in the sand for that was when I moved out of my parents' house. Um, and, and I moved out. The, the, the rule was if you want to live somewhere else, you pay for it. So that was, I think, in my second year of university. It might have been my third. I can't, can't exactly recall. But from then, I, I needed to earn money. Uh, and and I, was, uh, I made toasted sandwiches at the Senate House Canteen for commerce students doing night classes. I uh, bought equipment and I was a DJ. I was a traveling salesman promoting dishwashing products. Uh, what else did I, I do? I did market research. Um, so, yeah, I think that wakes you up pretty swiftly. You know, every week my rent, I lived in a place in Berea. I think it was 50 rand a month probably. I was going to say a week, but it was probably a month. And then, yeah, you've got to buy food and eventually you get yourself a beaten up old car and you've got to buy fuel. So I think I started getting into earning money. Oh, and I worked at Britain's Sweet Shop. I don't. I don't know, think it's still around, but that was a little bit of a. I saw uh, one thing. fairly recently. Yeah, oh, I mean, okay. it's a while back. I mean, I, th- yes. I think they, they, if they're not around anymore, they were around not so long ago. So yes, you didn't put them out of business. You can rest easy on that particular point. Good. Yeah, and I, I probably would have loved to work in a sweet shop when I was eleven, but when you, when you're twenty, you you do it and you earn money. So that n- nothing like not having money to focus your attention. What's been your your best money decision ever? I mean, as a journalist, you would never have earned the megabucks, as I pointed out earlier. But I think you've been a, a good, solid, and responsible citizen. So I think framed across you know two chunks of time. I bought a house when I was twenty eight, um, and I paid it off fairly quickly. I've never been a big spender of money. Um, I've never been interested in vehicles, for example. Um, I'd love to say I dress incredibly expensively, but anyone who's met me will know that's that's, that's a lie. True. I never spent. I've never been a big restaurant goer, and 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 certainly haven't bought lots of gadgets and hi fi's and stuff like that. So first house at twenty eight, and I really set about paying it off with a with real intent, and then more recently having uh, started a stock stocks portfolio and really neglected it on the JSE and, 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 and done some stupid things with that, I started putting a lot of savings, you know, apart from RAs, everything I had, into the S&P 500. Oh, um, you clever man. Was that a piece of advice or did you just have this moment where you thought to yourself, I need to do something and let me take it offshore and let me go and yes, buy an index fund? I, I, I think it was the latter. And so I, I, I used two, um, I, I did it on a PSG platform, but I used iShares and Vanguard. 
and that's that's done really well. So these are words that you wouldn't have known five years ago, but suddenly no. you've become all grown up and responsible. Yeah, I'd, I I um. I first started investing in um, in the JSE. The first stock I bought was ArcelorMittal. So therein lies a tale. Um, yes. And instead of watching it very carefully, I sort of watched it go from 40 to 80, but uh, missed the second act. And I, I, I haven't attended to my JSE portfolio with anything like the attention I gave to the offshore stuff I did. But I'm uh, putting and, that right. Uh, excellent, because now you're not getting any younger, John. I mean, you, you don't have any terrible money habits, it would seem. You don't have any sort of vices, or do you? Is there a, is there a vice in the Perlman portfolio? So, uh, oddly enough, I, I think my vice was that I actually didn't do enough to enjoy what I earn. Um, and that's partly a thing of buying things, but I think it's also a mindset of saying – you know what, it's the end of the year. Let's stay somewhere really nice. And and I was very fortunate to meet and then marry uh, a, a wonderful woman, uh, Helena, my wife, Helena, who is very different to me. She, she's is she not, not a communist? I mean, she, did ha- she does have deep communist roots, doesn't she? I don't think she was ever a member of the Communist Party, not. actually. She was no. married to the Communist Party at one oh, time. Oh, actually, though. yes, that's right. In fact, I think, she, I think she is a... <laughs> we don't talk about this, yes. <laughs> no, we do. No, we do. I, I've just realized I think she was a member of the party. Okay. But, but she's a, an agricultural economist, uh, mm-hmm. was director of agricultural banking at Standard Bank, runs a coaching uh, business that she set up herself. But the one thing that, that she does really, really well is I, I call it her sense of abundance. So even if you're making a sandwich, why would you just uh, put on a, a piece of pastrami if you can also add a gherkin and get really nice rye bread? And the one thing she, she taught me to do was buy clothes, I think partly out of desperation and a, <laughs> and a growing <laughs> sense of shame. Yes. But we, the first time we went shopping, I was looking for, let, let's call it a jacket, I don't particularly recall. And she said, you know, you don't have to just buy one. Because I would stand there saying, is this the perfect jacket? And if it, if it wasn't, I wouldn't buy anything. Um, so I've learned to – my advice, I think, was not to enjoy what, what I had earned. And I think I've, with her help, turned that around substantially. That's nice to hear, John. I'm glad. I mean, certainly um, you know, from, from a couple of years ago, the pictures I've seen from a couple of years ago, the improvement is vast. <laughs> uh, the improvement is vast. John Perlman, um, thank you and welcome. Uh, it's lovely to have you in the building. John Perlman is the host of Afternoon Drive on 702, sharing some of the stories of money and being married to Helena Dolney. Um, and just in case you were, uh, my comments were a bit obtuse earlier, she was once married to Joe Slovo. Um, and uh, now she and John Perlman, and she's giving John a sense of joie de vivre, I think is the term. Thank you, John.